this word has been kind of um, stewing in my heart for now several weeks, and I'm excited to be able to share it with you. I was going to share it this morning. I was thinking about sharing it a couple weeks ago. It just hasn't begun. It hasn't had the opportunity to come out, and now I believe it is the time for this message to be given. And uh, I believe it was for the entirety of the church. But the Holy Spirit doesn't make any mistakes, and those of you who are here tonight are going to get a good word. Amen. Amen. So praise the name of the Lord. Turn with me to your book of uh, to the book of Second Kings, chapter number seven. And there, where we're at here is that there was a besiegement. Um, on the people of Samaria, which is in northern Israel, and um, it was a it was a an interesting time. I preached a message that we I talked about a little bit a couple weeks ago, um, a message that God had given me out of out of the book of Second Kings chapter six that is pretty politically incorrect. But I enjoyed preaching it as a youth pastor because you can get away with that kind of thing. Um, but this, this picks up right after this and Elisha comes to the people and the spirit of God speaks to him and he begins to speak it out right here in second Kings. And he started at verse number three, cause that's the notes that I gave him. I'm going to go ahead and begin at reading at verse number one and then, and then we'll come right into number three. Don't, don't need to change it. Eli, um, it says, then Elijah, uh, Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, and boy, did our did our general overseer preach a great message about tomorrow about this time down in Branson several weeks ago. He preached right out of this scripture, and he talked about tomorrow about this time, and that was the day before we got that email about the building, and so there's a lot of faith that can be spoken about tomorrow about this time. He said, a sea of, bar, uh, of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So an officer whose hand the king leaned on answered the man of God and said, look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And he said, in fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Now, that's not the subject material tonight. We're getting into verse number three. This is where our subject comes from. Now, there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we're going to die here also. Now, therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, then we'll live. And if they kill us, then we'll only die. And they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, there was no one there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of the chariots and the noise of horses and the noise of a great army. So that they said one to another, look, the, look, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites and the king of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore, they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, their donkeys, and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried the uh, carried from it the silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. And they came back and entered another one and carried some there also. And when they said one to another, well, the thing we're not doing is good, uh, and this day... This day is a day of good news. Amen. I want to just stop right there. This day is a day of good news. Amen. I want to talk to you tonight about a subject. I, I just titled this message uh, simply called Take It. Take It. I subtitled the message. If that wasn't if that wasn't cool enough for, for whoever likes catchy titles, um, I, I, I subtitled the message, The Lame Take the Plunder. The Lame Take the Plunder. You see, there was a great famine in the land, and if you were to turn backwards to the page, uh, to one page back and find chapter six of Second Kings, you would find out that there was a, 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 a real strong famine in the land. And in those times, when a king wanted to defeat a people, 
greater army, all he would have to do was go and surround the city where the people were, and he would cut them off. Do you understand what a besiegement is, what what a siege is on a city? In, in ancient times, this was when they would bring, he would bring his army out, and they would they would surround them. You know, I just feel like I need to illustrate this for just a second. Uh, Brother Tim, Brother Jim, Sister Mindy, come on up. Sister Sharon, will you come and help me this do you feel like getting up? It won't take long. Matter of fact, we can use a chair for you because you're going to be the city. You're blessed, Sister Sharon. That's what I meant. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Brother, you want to help us, sister? I want you to help us too. Um, I want you to just surround her, okay? And I want you to lock your arms around her. Press in tight. We don't want her to be able to see out of anything. Hope you're not claustrophobic, sister. Okay? Don't be too afraid, Lord. <laughs> this is what it looks like when some people, does anybody remember growing up and you get you go up to the altar and this is what it looked like around you? <laughs> you had somebody saying, let it out. The other one was saying, let him in. And you know what I'm talking about? Anyway, sorry. I, I feel a little special. So this is what it would look like, though, to be besieged. They were there was a siege set around the city, and it's a tight, uh, a tight circle that an encampment of soldiers around the city. And so what 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 they were trying to do? Do y'all see that? You know, how many of y'all can see Sister Sharon? Oh, see, you're not close enough, Brother Jim. We're gonna have to get you know be sanctified, but. It gets to the point where if you were coming up, you may see the city wall, but you couldn't see nothing could go into the city and nothing could come out. Sister Sharon, if you needed to if you needed to, you know, use the restroom right now, you'd be you'd be hurting. You'd be in a pickle. Yeah. If you you know, if you needed a snack, if you you know, your diabetes said, oh, I, I need to get a snack right now, you'd be in trouble. I do need a Kleenex. See, she's in trouble. We're going to look and see what happens when you don't get one. This is all part of the experiment. No, you guys can you guys can stop now. But I, I you, you guys can go back to your seat. Sister Sharon, thank you. I just wanted you all to see that. I could keep them up here and keep making jokes about them and whatnot, but that wouldn't be, that'd be counterproductive, I think. Brother Tim, you're just mean. You were dumping her out of the chair. So, so what would happen is that there was there would be this encampment around the city. I know I'm reiterating this, but I need you to I need you to really see it because in ancient times, if the if the king of the attacking army didn't want to lose any forces, that this was a way you could win a battle without losing one soldier, without losing anybody in the fight. If you had an overwhelming sized army, and you say, well, if we go and fight against these people. We'll still beat them, but I will lose soldiers in the process. So instead, let's just camp around them, and we will we will shut them off. We will close them off. And that's what had happened in chapter number 6. The, ch the people of Syria came, and they encamped around the people of Samaria, and they had a besiegement around the city. And... And so then when you get into this besiegement, there are tactics of this kind of war. And they're a different kind of tactic than men going out to fight one another. What they would do is the tactic of this kind of war would be like shutting off. If someone encamped around Springfield as a city and they just begin to shut off the power grid, the first thing they would do is shut off the power grid. They would shut off the supply. And in those days, the supply was clean water, and the supply was crops that were outside of the city. And the supply was uh, the, the, the water that was running in the springs around the city, but not in the city. And then the supply was the way to get rid of the waste. You know, they didn't have septic systems the way that we do today. And so there was no way to get rid of the waste out of the city. And so they would close them off, and they were shutting them off. And what would happen is... Before long, 
disease would begin to settle into the besieged city. Are you all aware of this kind of warfare? Because disease would begin to settle in, and because of that disease, sickness would abound all over the place. Sickness would begin to get into the people. And I didn't come to preach to you about this tonight, but it has to be said that if we as the people of God will allow the enemy to besiege around us, and I believe, and I, I like I said, I'm not preaching out of this tonight, but this, the truth is still the truth. I believe the enemy is trying to besiege the church of God. And I'm not just talking about our denomination, but the people of God putting around us an army. What, let me explain it to you a little bit farther. The, the government will come in and try to put mandates on what you can and you can't say behind the pulpit. We're going to allow you to have religious freedom. You can go ahead and have church, but you can only have it inside the four walls of your church. You see, they're besieging around it. They're saying, we'll let you do this, this, and this, but we're not going to let you do that. If you say it like this, then it's a hate crime. If you say it like that, then we're going to allow it. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're besieging around, and before you know it, they're trying to cut off the blood life of the church. But the one thing they don't understand is that our blood life comes from within. Amen. The four walls of this church are not the church. It's the church that lives inside of me is the Jesus inside of me that is the church. Somebody say amen. I'm telling you that uh, but the, the world is trying to besiege the church and the reason I know that it's true and I've got to go ahead and talk about it and I'm going to go ahead and hit a couple points of the sermon that I used to preach which was called Dove, Dunn and, Dove Dung and Donkey Brains. Okay, If you were to look back at the Dove Dung and Donkey Brains part of this scripture in chapter number 6 it said that that there was a besiegement, and, and I believe it's in yeah, verse number 25. It says that indeed they besieged it until a donkey head was sold for 85 shekels of silver and one-fourth of a cab of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. Okay, that's that, And so this was, this was laid out in the scripture so that you could know just how bad this besiegement was. And so I, the message that I preached before, and you guys get the nuggets of it anyway, is that when, when you get besieged as a city, and Brother Tim, you're going to want to hang on to this stuff because this is really a message for the youth of today because uh, you, you'll, you'll find out here in just a minute. I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to do a teacher, uh, uh, spoiler here. But, um, but what happens is when you're besieged as a people, all the thoroughbreds, all the good horses, all the quarter horses, all you, you, all, you all know about horses. Listen, a, a donkey's not the best kind of horse, is it? No, no. And all the good horses were gone. So the city was resorting to donkey heads. You see, and it didn't say the body of the donkey. It said donkey heads sold for 85 shekels of silver. That's a high price to pay for some donkey heads. Okay, what does that mean? Well, some physically they were eating on the brains and feasting on what was left of the donkey, which was in the head, which, you know, that's not on the best of diets, but, you know, that's what they were doing. But, but, but spiritually what happens is that when the thoroughbreds are gone, when the good, when the good strong horses of God, I got to break this down so that you guys understand. I keep talking in symbolism, but you, when, when, when the church of God, and I'm not talking, when I say church of God from this point on, I want to explain, I'm talking about the, the church in general, not this, not our denomination. So I don't want to have to keep repeating that. But when the church of God gets to the place where we let the enemy besiege around us, we we all of a sudden, will the first sign and symptom of a church that is besieged is that you will start throwing out the advice of the strong thoroughbreds of God. I see it. You you can see it. I'm not going to point fingers. But when, when, a, when a church or an organization becomes besieged by the enemy and he's cutting off the life supply of them, you will see that the strong leaders, the ones that are preaching the good old gospel of Jesus Christ, the ones that are preaching the bloody gospel, the ones that are preaching the Holy Ghost and signs and wonders and tongues and all of those things, they, they begin to shut them down. They'll shut them off and say, no, you guys don't need to talk anymore. You guys need to stop and close your mouth. We don't want to hear about those things of old. We don't want to hear about the strong things of God. And then the next thing you know, they start feasting on donkey bread. What is a donkey? A donkey is the thing, it's, it's the leftovers of a horse. It's a thing that you have to do with a donkey because there ain't a horse around to do it. And, and you know, it's I, you know what another name for a donkey is, right? And so I'm not going to go there tonight. But what happens is we stop. I told you it was a youth sermon. And so what we what we did is we we stopped listening to the thoroughbreds and the minds of, of great godly men. And then all of a sudden the church starts listening to a bunch of donkeys. Having itching ears. Keeping up for themselves prophets. 
that will just tickle their ears and say what they want to say. And then it goes on to say that uh, that a half a cab of dove dung, which is just, you know, like a like a teaspoon of dove droppings, of dove feces, would go, would sell for five shekels of silver. What is that symbolic of? It's symbolic of a church that used to have the dove that lived there. The dove is the Holy Ghost. And the dove used to live in the church. But now the dove doesn't live there anymore, and we're content to settle for the droppings of the dove. We don't want him to fly down and land because the Holy Ghost messes things up. When the dove lands on the church, then all of a sudden we have to change our life. When the dove lands in the church, then all of a sudden our sin begins to come out, and we start finding ourselves crying and weeping and kneeling down in an altar again, and we find ourselves broken with conviction. We don't want the dove to land. We just want the dove to come swoop down and fly low enough that he can drop some droppings that we can be happy that we've been in the house of God and we felt some hair stand up on the back of our neck and we felt, you know, we felt a little bit of doodads and when the singers got going real good and the emotions got going real good, then I almost shed a tear, but I was able to leave out and go do the same things that I did when I lived in the world. I live, I act like the world. I smell like the world. I drink with the world. I talk like the world. It's everything the same as the world. Why? Because we're content to live on dove dung. We don't want the real Holy Ghost to come. And then finally, at the end of the chapter, you find a story that is probably one of the most appalling stories. There's one other story that, that I believe beats this one as far as just the wow factor. I just can't believe that that would even happen. But it, the, the Bible says that a woman went to the king as the, as the judge. The king was also the judge of the, of the land. And she went to him and she said, listen, we're so hungry that me and this woman made a deal. Yesterday, she said, if I will, if we will eat my son, then tomorrow, which would be today, we could eat her son. And so I killed my son and we ate him yesterday. And now she's hid her son. You go back and read it. That's what it says. And the Bible says that the king rent his clothes and he began to cry upon the wall and said, if, if, if God doesn't help us, then I don't know who could. And he's mad at Elisha the whole time. And Brother Tim, what I was talking, what I was saying that you'll want to hear about this is that the third symptom and the last symptom of a, of a church that's besieged is cannibalizing the young people. Is a church that cannibalizes its young. That says, I'm going to have church the way I want to have church. And I don't want to do any of the new things. I don't want to do anything a new way. I don't want to change any kind of tactic. We need to make the young people do it the way that we used to do it. And we need to, we, they need to just like the songs that we used to like. And they need to just like it the way that we like it. And, and what we're doing is we're cannibalizing the young people. They don't like the same things that you like. It's another generation. I, I preached this at a place one time, and my wife was about to crawl under the pew because I, I, I said to the church, I said, would you believe that Jesus did not sing out of the Redback Hymnal? And they were a Redback Hymnal church. I was getting myself in trouble. And, but, but the truth is that we can, when, when, when a church is besieged and they've lost focus and they've lost sight and they've lost the source, they've lost the Holy Ghost, they've lost the source, then all of a sudden we begin to cannibalize our young. We begin to cannibalize not just the youth group or the children's group, but even the young adults. And listen, it, I, you know me, guys. I'm not up here just talking about being progressive for the sake of being progressive. But God never changes, but man's method can change. God, God never changes. His word is forever settled. Sin is always going to be sin. But sometimes God says, behold, I do a new thing. Amen? Now let me get to where I'm going. That was all free. Elisha prophesied something here in verse num or chapter number 7. He said, he said, that this time tomorrow a sea of fine barley shall be sold for a shekel, one shekel. They're, they're paying 85 shekels of silver for a donkey drink. Five shekels of silver for, some, for a tablespoon of dove dung. And he is saying that this time tomorrow fine flour will be sold for one shekel. And two seeds of barley, two pieces of barley will be sold for one shekel. And then the and then the, 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 the king's man goes on to say this. The officer of the king said, if the Lord would make windows of heaven, could this thing be so? And, and I've got to stop right there and just, 
just explain this to you. Sometimes we get into this place where we feel like God is so, my blessing, my promise is so far away. These people were in a position where they were besieged, where there was no food in the land. They were eating on things that we've already discussed that they shouldn't have been eating on. They were down to nothing. And, and he, here he is, he comes up and says, a sea of, of fine flour is going to be sold for a shekel. That means that there's, you know, there's going to be a plethora, so much of this that it's, it's sold like it's so cheap. That it, you know, like it, it's like saying that tomorrow gold is going to begin to sell for a dollar an ounce, and we're saying what? And there's no way that that can happen. Why? Because in our carnal mind, our carnal mind says that even if this army goes away, then we've got to go back out and we've got to replant the barley, and we've got to replant the oats, and we've got to replant the wheat, and we've got to replant everything. We've got to we've got to find good water. We've got to water it. We've got to wait on increase, and then we've got to harvest it, and then we've got to do the process. And then finally we can get to a place where we have some flour, but there's no way we can have enough flour that one that a, a sea of fine flour will sell for one one shekel of silver. Do you see what I'm saying? We and and what I'm what I'm let me put it into today's terms. What we do is we get in a place where we're like, God, I know that you're supposed to heal me. I know that I know that I've got you know something in my body, and you're supposed to heal it. But even if you move, God, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to speak to the doctor, and then the doctor is going to have to figure out what's wrong with me, and then you're going to have to figure out what the right medicine is, and then I'm going to have to take the right medicine, and then after it's eight weeks of being on the right medicine, then I'm going to start to feel better slowly, but I'm not going to get my healing right away because this is the mentality we're in. We're in the logical mentality. We think things have to happen in like a season or in a time or in a in a chronological order and so the king's man he couldn't understand that here's this prophet that's always speaking the truth but here he goes and he's saying something that is physically and utterly impossible because even if the siege would have ended they would have had to regrow and rebuild and do all these things and so he said he says uh, that if the Lord would make a window in heaven could this thing be? Even if God were to pour it out from heaven, could this thing even be? And I, I wrote this down in my notes. You see, they couldn't conceive what God was able to do. And I feel like tonight that we as the church and you individuals as believers need to get to the place where you stop looking through your natural eyes at the things that God's trying to get you to see in the supernatural. you got to quit looking at your situation through your natural lenses because God said, I'm a supernatural guy. In the previous chapter, Chapter before chapter 6, the Bibles are, are actually earlier in chapter 6. It says that there was an, a besiegement around uh, Elisha because they were coming after him to kill him. And he said, Lord, I pray that you would open my servant's eyes and let him see that those that are for us were, are far outnumber the ones that are against us because God has angel armies encamped around about you. And I'm telling you tonight that God's got angel armies camped around about you and he wants to heal you and he wants to bless you and he's got the cattle on a thousand hills that are laid up for you. But the problem is we look through our natural eyes instead of looking at the supernatural God that created all of it. Amen. And so then we get on down the line and it says, now there were four leprous men at the entrance to the gate. There were four leprous men. You see, I started looking up what is leprosy. I mean, I, I got an idea. I had an idea of what leprosy is, but I started. I said, "What is leprosy?" Well, leprosy is a con contagious and eventually terminal disease. In those days, now it's curable. But what it is at its root, it's essentially it's an infection that's usually within your body for five to twenty years before you even know about it, before any symptoms uh, emerge. It begins with skin lesions and nerve damage and then respiratory problems and then more skin, hev heavy skin problems and then in the end it's eye problems that eventually lead to death. You see the lack of ability to feel pain causes parts of your extremities to wind up with even more infection and then you have even loss of extremities because of unnoticed wounds or open infections and things like that. So here are these four leprous men. Let's take a closer look as I looked at what uh, what this leprosy was because I made a statement one time in church and I, I was about to get kind of booed off the platform 
But I said that I believe sometimes we get in a spiritual state of leprosy. And people looked at me with kind of puffed eyes. And I, and I, and I, I began, but, but hear me out. I, let me explain this to you. Sometimes, and you need to check yourself tonight because you may be in a spiritual state of leprosy. Because what leprosy is, is it's an infection. It's a contagious infection. So what's that tell me? It tells me that you need to watch out spiritually who you're hanging around with because you might catch something. And it's in your body for a long time before it even sur- surfaces. And then spiritually it surfaces. I'm, I want to talk spiritually for a few minutes. It spiritually uh, surfaces in the form of a legion, just a little small spot. It's been there for quite a while, but now all of a sudden it comes out into the surface on your skin. And so now all of a sudden you can see that spiritually what you thought you had all together, now there's a little blemish and a little kink in your armor, a little dent in your armor spiritually. And then the, and, and then the next thing that happens is that nerve damage begins to happen because it starts out as maybe a lesion, but then you get some nerve damage. What happens when you have nerve damage is you become numb to the things of God. Spiritually speaking, if you get nerve, spiritual nerve damage, all of a sudden you're numb. You're sitting in a service where God is moving and you're saying, I don't feel anything. Why? Because maybe you've allowed a, a little bit of leprosy to cause you to go numb in the area of the spirit. And so the next thing you know, you're, you know, you're, you're spiritually numb, uh, unable to feel God the way that you used to. And then the next thing that happens with leprosy is it's a respiratory thing. You're not able to breathe the same way. He said that I am the air that you breathe in you. I live and move and have my being. He, and, and listen, when your breathing becomes, it literally sin will, will begin to suck the life out of you. If you are spiritually become left, uh, become a leper, you, 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 all of a sudden you can't breathe anymore. You can't breathe in what God has. You can't breathe in the life of God and it sucks the life out of you. And then all of a sudden your skin becomes fully covered, fully engulfed with this thing called leprosy. And all of a sudden you, 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 you're, you're numb enough to any kind of a pain that all of a sudden you begin to lose limbs and you begin to become a, a battle worn out and, and battle ridden soldier that you, 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 you've lost your spiritual legs. You've lost your spiritual arms. You're not able to do what you used to do because you've become, you, you've let it completely take over your skin. And then the very last thing that it does is takes over uh, your eyes. And the Bible says that without vision, men will perish. And so the enemy wants nothing more than to take over your spiritual vision and make you where you can't see anymore. But God is trying to keep us from getting to this place where we don't have any vision because he knows that our vision is the thing that gives us zeal to go forward. And our vision is given to us by the Holy Spirit. And you can no longer, it seems like you, when you get to this place with this spiritual leprosy, you're completely backslidden. You can no longer even see your way to God. And and so then, as I said, your, your limbs start falling off. You start losing talents. Oh, I used to be, I used to play guitar. I used to play it in the church. I don't even know how to strum the guitar anymore. I used to do this. I used to do that. I used to teach. And now I can't stand people. I used to be with the young people, but now I'm, now I'm not able to do that anymore. And my nerves get the best of me. Well, it's because you begin to, you, you start losing your limbs, your spiritual limbs, your spiritual abilities. But there's good news because there's a man that I know that was in the scripture that the leper came up to me and said, that he said, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And then I'm reminded in the scripture where there were 10 lepers outside the city gates. And he said, go and be cleansed. But he said, go on, go, go show yourself to the priest, but don't tell anybody. And they went and one turned around and he began to fall on his knees. He said, didn't I cleanse ten? But only one came back to give honor to God. I'm telling you, why did I tell you those stories? Because God is a God who heals leprosy. And listen, even if you're spiritually a leper in this place tonight, God is the God that can cleanse your leprosy. And you can, listen, you can, like the old timers said it, you can be dark as coal, go through some red blood and come out white as snow. I'm telling you, he knows how to cure you. And he knows how to spiritually put you back on track where you're not like that anymore. Somebody give the Lord praise. Your spiritual, your spiritual healing is right in front of you. All you got to do is just take it. Take it. Just take it. So the, so the lepers, I've gotten past that 
now we're, now we're on the second stanza of the same verse. It says, at the entrance of the gate, and they said one to another, why are we sitting here until we die? Why are we sitting here until we die? My God, if the church would just ask each other that question. Look over at your neighbor and say, why are we sitting here until we die? Now look back at the same neighbor and say, I don't know. Why are we sitting here? All over town right now, probably not all over town because many of them don't have Sunday night services. But this morning, all over town were people that were content to come into church and sit there until they died. You know, in the parable of the talents, uh, you've heard me say this, but I can't get off of it. In the parable of the talents, God gave, the master gave ten talents to one, five talents to the other, and one talent to the one. And the one who got one talent, he went and hid it in the ground. And when he came back, he offered that same talent up to him. You know what Jesus said? The master said to him, you wicked and slothful servant. Now, I just have it in my mind that this is the leprosy church. That same servant who had the one is the same church that has leprosy that says, I'm going to sit here until I die. How do I correlate the two? Because you've been giving one talent. What is your talent? Salvation. God gave it to you. But he didn't give it to you so that you could bury it and wait till he comes back and say, look, God, I'm still saved. I went into the church and I sat there and I was there every Sunday and I just sat there. And now you've come back for me and I'm standing up in front of you and I'm returning myself to you because you gave me one talent. And here's your talent back. I believe that he's going to look at you and say, you wicked and slothful servant. I gave you eternal life. I gave you the ability to walk out and give it to somebody else. You know that I, he, he said in that in that parable, he said, you know that I reap where I sow not. The master said, I reap where I sow not. You know that I was hard and I reap where I sow not. Why? It would have been better that you took it to the bank and got some interest on it. So many of us are content to just sit there, to just sit in church until the Lord comes when he's saying, you know, these four leprous men, they said, why do we sit here until we die? Have you asked yourself lately, why do we sit here? Are we going to sit here until we die? And so then they said, he said this, he said, if we go to the city, the famine's in the city and we're going to die there. Now, the, the, the lepers were outside the city because they were kicked out. They couldn't be in the city. But now all of a sudden they're at the place of desperation where they said, we can walk back in the city because the city's going to die. Now all of a sudden everybody else is just like the lepers. They just don't have leprosy because every one of them is getting ready to die. And I've come to tell you, you're sitting on your testimony and you're not giving it to anyone. And you're saying, I wonder what's going to happen. Should I sit here until I die? And I've got news for you. Everybody that you don't share your testimony with is dying and they're going to hell. But if your testimony can change them, then why not give it? If your testimony doesn't change them, then why not give it? It doesn't matter. They said, if we go into the city, then we're going to die there anyway. And if we go over to the Syrians, then they may kill us, but we're only going to die. And if we sit here, we're only going to die. And I've come to tell you this, Sister Evelyn, you're 92 years old, but it's appointed unto man once to die. And I may leave this place tonight and walk out of here and go out and, and lose my life on the way home tonight. But it's appointed unto man once to die. Every one of us is going to stand before God because to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ and every one of you is going to die so why fear death the scripture says don't fear death but fear the one that after death can send your soul to hell don't fear man who could kill you I'm telling you today I'm not scared of death and you need not be scared of death the only thing that should be on your mind forever and always is taking the talent which is Jesus inside of you and sharing it with someone else I am preaching better than you're preaching back at me tonight there's a Jesus inside of you and he wants to be shared and he wants you to take it out. Why should you sit here until you die? 
If we go in there, I'm not scared to go in there anymore because they're dying too. If we go over here, I'm not scared to go see the Syrians because they hate us. But at least if they take us and save us and throw us in a dungeon, they'll feed us. And we ain't got no food. We're dying anyway. Why do we sit here until we die? And everyone's a dead man. see, they decided, let's get up and move. Let's get up and take it. Let's get up. Let's take our life into our own hands. Let's take it. Let's not just give it to somebody else. Jesus said, no man takes my life from me, but I freely lay it down. He said, you ain't going to take it from me. But he gave every one of us the power to take it, to take it. And so these men, they got up at twilight. They didn't even wait for the sun to come up. They said, I think I see some little light on the horizon over there. Sun's not even coming up. They got up at twilight, the Bible says. And, you know, here's the thing that I've got to point out about them getting up at twilight. I know the scripture says that joy comes in the morning. Sorrow lasts through the night, but joy comes in the morning. But some of you have been waiting for your joy to come in the morning, but you've been waiting for it to come to you where you're just sitting there and dying. And God's saying you need to get up at twilight and go towards your joy. You need to get up and take an unction of the Holy Ghost to start walking towards your joy because your joy does come in the morning. But sometimes you've got to get up off your dove and, and go take it. The scripture says that since the beginning, the kingdom of God has suffered violence. Since the time of John the Baptist, the kingdom of God has suffered violence, but the violent take it by force. I'm telling you, God wants you to get up out of your sorrow, out of your slumber, out in your sickness. God wants you to get up in your sickness and begin to minister to those who are sick. God wants you to begin to get up in your sorrow and minister to those who are heavy in spirit. God wants you to get up in your addiction and go over and begin to minister to those those who are addicted. God wants you to get up and take your promise because you're waiting on it to come to you and you're going to sit there until you die. So at twilight, they got up. And listen, if God has spoken to you, don't wait. Don't wait till morning. Don't say, I'm going to sleep on it. Don't say, I'm going to wait till tomorrow. And then when the sun comes up, the sun will come up tomorrow. Don't wait. Don't wait because you know what comes up with the sun tomorrow? Everybody in your family saying, oh, no, you shouldn't do that. No, I know you think you've heard from God, but that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make no sense for your life. Your family comes in. Yeah, I know. They pat you on the head. Well, you know, I know God's working on you, but you're too old to do that. Sister Marge, you can't be effective in the kingdom anymore. You need to just sit back and die. Nonsense. Sister Janet, they'll tell you, oh, you just don't, you know, your hip doesn't work the way it used to and your knee's bothering you and so you're just ill-equipped and you need to just sit back and don't do anything. And, and I'm telling you, it's a lie. Don't wait on the sun to come up. Don't wait on the morning to come. He said, get up at twilight and go go take it. Go take the land. Because what has happened is when they heard from, when they when you hear from God, then all of a sudden you got to start moving toward what is God's has called you to do. Sister Mindy, Brother Jim, when you hear from God, you move. Until you hear from God, you stay. When you hear from God, you move. You don't wait. You don't You don't second guess it. You don't need anybody's opinion. You don't need anybody's assurance. You don't need anybody's affirmation. You don't need the high calling. You've got the high caller that called you. He called you into missionary work. And when you hear the voice of God, you go. You go take the promise. You go. You, ta- you take it by force. And so some of them, they got up. And I've got to illustrate this. I called this part of my notes the seven-foot army. So, Brother Ben, will you come up here and help me? (laughs) It's a good thing I didn't mean it that way. Daniel, son, will you come up here and help me? Brother Everett, come up and help me. You know what, just Brother Tim. I said seven-foot army. I love you. That's right. This is where I'm going. I'm not talking about height. So which one of you guys are the most agile? I think it's Daniel. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. I want you guys to lock arms, and I want you guys to actually start over here. Get, we're going to walk across the, the all together. So Gary, you go over by Sister Diane, and then you guys line up this way. Not this way, but that way. So lock arm in arm. I'm just, I'm just kidding. 
hard and sharp. Amen. There we go. <laughs> okay. So here's what here's what we got to do. You guys are lepers. You guys are the seven foot army. And the reason you're the seven foot army is because Ben, you've got leprosy, but it's only affecting your face. Okay. Around this corner. <laughs> and. And brother Everett, you you've got leprosy, you know, but it's just caused you to be down on your back. Can you do this for me? It's pretty easy, right? Okay. And then, and then, um, you you actually don't have that arm. That arm's fallen off of you, and um, and you kind of walk with like a straight leg limp. Okay. All right. Now the bad news for you is that you've actually lost one of your legs. So I'm going to need you to get up off of one of them legs. Now you see why it's the seven-foot army. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven-foot army. So you guys got up at twilight. You guys got up at twilight. And you guys are here, you know, you got the promise of God, and you just, you know, we're going to go see how things go. Now, you don't forget, you walk with the, the straight leg limp. You, you're down in your back, but yet you got to hold this guy up because he only got one foot. And, you know, fortunately, you're still strong for the most part. You just got leprosy of the face. I love you. <laughs> and so what happens is they begin to walk to take it. They begin in their struggle to take it. So I want you guys to just kind of take off. Over here's the Syrian camp. Show me show me what you got, lepers. Now just just for the sake of proper illustration, the Syrian camp was much farther than that. So I'm going to need you guys to turn around and walk back. You know, it was it was probably <coughs> probably about a mile. So for the sake of proper illustration tonight, I'm just going to need you to keep going. Until you feel like you've gone a mile, OK? <laughs> so as the seven foot army is illustrating to you what it might have looked like to have these lepers, if I would have had time tonight, I would have brought some mummification stuff and put some bandages all over them and let you really know what it, what it might have looked like for them. Brother Everett, I feel like your back's too straight. Everett, I feel like your back's too straight. You need to hump over a little. There we go. All right, keep on, keep on walking. Keep walking. You haven't gone a mile. <coughs> Daniel's son says, you need to walk a mile in my shoe. <laughs> Y'all will get that on the way home. You see, you see, you may be late. Are y'all going to be able to pay attention to me with what I'm doing there? No. Just work your way back over there and then you can be seated. Ben, why are you why are you saying oh thank you? <laughs> You're pretty much the only cure. <laughs> it's just but light affliction, brother. <laughs> All right, you're good. Oh, he's healed. All right. Came to came to church to get your exercise. So so here's the thing. You may be lame. You may be maimed. You may not have all the spiritual giftings that somebody else has. You may be even in a place where you've let your spirit get down. And you you're 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 spiritually, you feel like a spiritual leper because you you've become numb to the things of God. But I'm telling you, he wants you to get up in your status where you're at. Not wait on you, to, not wait on him to come and heal you and fix you. And then you go to the promise and then you go to the thing he's called you to. No, he wants you to go the way that you are. And he wants you to just begin to walk your way to where you're supposed to be going. I have no doubt that when they begin to get up at twilight, that they were moving and they were moving about like this. They, those guys were going way too fast. They were they, they didn't really have leprosy, you see, because if you had leprosy, I, I failed to I failed to mention that it first it affects before you lose your limbs it affects your respiratory so there's no doubt that they couldn't move fast they're just they're breathing heavy and they're like 
but we're going to get over there to where the Syrians are because we're going to die over here. I'm going to die if I stay there, and I might die up here, but I'm still, I'd rather take the unknown because I'd rather take the unknown over certain death. And God is saying, I wish that my church would get in a place where they recognize that if they stay where they're at, they're going to die. If they stay where they're at, they're going to die, and if they turn to the devil, they're going to die. So they might as well just go ahead in in the state that they are in right now and just begin to make their way to me and begin to, at twilight, before the sun comes up, before the morning comes, before your promise comes, you go and you just take your promise because what happened was God did something miraculous in their weakness. The scripture says uh, I believe in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse number 9 it says that in my, in my weakness his strength is made perfect. His strength is made perfect in my time of weakness and that's the time when we're walking like this when we're not able to do things that's when God said my strength is perfected in you. When I come to church and I'm burnt like a lobster. He says, in your weakness, Paul, my strength is perfected. Don't worry about it. Sister Juanita, when you're going through things in your body, he's trying to tell you, don't worry. In your weakness, my strength is made perfect. No matter what you're doing, just go take it. Just take the land. The children of God have suffered violence, but the violent take it by force. Just take it. And before you know it, you get up and you start walking and you're doing like this. But Eli, go ahead and hit it. You're you're walking like this. You all can't hear me walking, right? but the, but God all of a sudden starts working on your behalf and then all of a sudden you're you're walking like this and there was four of them walking and maybe seven legs like I said it could have been a six foot army I don't know but but you're you're doing this but all of a sudden God turns up turns on the volume to what you're doing turn it up Eli God turns on the volume to what you're doing and as they were walking at twilight they they were just walking they're just breathing heavy. They're just, I can't go any much farther. I can't do much. Brother Roger, it's like taking your walker and saying, I can't go very much, God, but I'm going to get up and I'm going to go. I'm still going to go to church on Sunday even though I don't feel like it. I'm still going to go out and I'm going to minister in the streets even though I don't feel like it. And when you start to make your way out there, they're just limping around like this, but God's making you sound like that. You're walking like this and God's making it sound like that. Turn it up. the, the, The Syrian army they began to hear they they didn't hear the limps and moans and groans of leprous men they didn't hear the grasping of the voice they didn't hear the cough sister Evelyn they heard the power of God being made manifest they heard thunderous armies working about they heard God moving an army on their behalf and they they, they said oh my God that that the armies of, of Samaria have called the armies of Egypt and they've called the Hittites and they've gathered together against us. But it was just four leprous men, just leper, less leprously walking, just walking around slowly. But God was turning it into an army. And the next thing you know, I believe they got over there and the, the children, the, the, the Syrians, they had run the other direction. They had run the other direction because fear gripped in their heart. And I'm telling you, if you'll just get up and you'll start to move, and you'll start to take it. Just take it. Take your promise. The children of God suffer violent, but the violent take it by force. If you'll get up in your state where you're at, not not in yesterday, not when you get healed, but if you'll get up where you're at, God will make you sound like an army. And all of a sudden, your enemy that was that was killing you, the enemy that was making you down, the enemy that had broken your back, the enemy that was starving you, the spiritual leprosy that was binding you, all of a sudden it'll begin to fall off and God will send the enemy running away from you in the other direction. Somebody got to give God praise. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter number 33, verse number 23, I want uh, Eli, I want you to pull that up. Isaiah chapter 33, verse number 23. There's something powerful right there that God is saying. I can back this up with scripture more than just these scriptures. He says your tackle is loose. He's talking about the enemy right now. He's talking about that thing that you're facing. He's talking about cancer. He's talking about he's talking about your sickness, Juanita. He's talking, he said your tackle is loose. They, they, they could not strengthen their mast. They could not spread their sail. Then the prey of great plunder is divided, and the lame will take the prey. What am I telling you? It's not the powerful that take the prey. It's not the the strong that take the prey. It's not 
not the ones that can talk the talk the best. It's the ones that can barely walk the walk. But they'll get up in their leprous state, and they'll just begin to walk. And God said, it's the lame that are going to take the prey. It's the lame that are going to take the plunder. It's the ones who will allow themselves to be weak and allow my strength to be perfected inside of them that will take the plunder that is before them. I've come to tell you tonight to take it. Take it. Take it. Look at your neighbor and say, take it. I'm closing with this. There's a man named Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor. Go home, look him up. He blew China open. He is the reason that the gospel went to China. He developed schools in China. He moved the gospel to China, and he wasn't a well-educated man. He wasn't a powerful speaker. He wasn't anything to look at. He wasn't that great charismatic. And But then somebody came to him, and they said, why did God use you to, to get to China? Why was it that God used you? And he said, I believe, listen, this was profound. This is what he said. He said, I believe that God looked for years for a man that was weak enough. I believe that God looked for years. For a man that was weak enough to accept his weakness and accept God's strength. And and in his weakness, acknowledge his weakness, and in his nothingness, cast himself on God. And say, God, I can't do it, but through you I can do all things. Through Christ, nothing shall be impossible. He said, I don't know why God used me other than that I was weak enough. Doesn't that go against all our thinking? Doesn't that go against everything that we think we need to know, Brother Jim? As you're getting ready and prepared for missionary work, you think you've got to be polished, Sister Mindy? You think think you've got to deliver it just the best? And God's saying, just be weak enough. Just be weak enough that you're humble when you come into this when you come into this pulpit and you'll be weak enough to say, God, I can't talk unless you talk through me. I'm not I don't know what to say and in and of myself I will fall. But through you, all things are possible. In my weakness, your strength is made perfect. In my inabilities, you are able to move mountains. In my inability to walk, I can't even walk without him holding my hand. I love the old songwriter that said, I can't even walk without him holding my hand. The mountain's too high, the valley's too wide. I thought I could make it all on my own. But he said, I can't even walk without him holding my hand. Why? Because he recognized that his inability, his leprous state, he wasn't able to walk right without God. He said, I'll be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Not that you can walk and sprint and run, get ahead of me, but that you'll walk with me. Hudson Taylor said, he's just looking for a man weak enough. And I just want to ask you this tonight in closing. Will you, in your weakness, let God's strength be made perfect? Will you get up in your weakened state and just take it? Your blessing is on the other side of the hill. It may be guarded by thousands of enemy forces. It may be, it may be guarded by principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, and spiritual wickedness in high places. It may be guarded by every demon in hell, but I'm telling you, when you get up, God is going to have a host of, army, of the armies of heaven that begin to walk with you. And they make thunderous noise. And, he hear, and they hear chariots. And they hear the archangel Michael coming at them in war. And they hear the war array. And it's going to send the enemy shuddering in his tracks. At the mention of the name of Jesus, the demons will flee. Because there's power in Jesus. We don't have any power, Brother Jim. Sometimes I think that I start to attain something. Sometimes I think that my talents are good for something. And then I realize that it's in my weakness that God moves the most. I've come to tell you that the times that I went to church and had it least together is when God showed up the most. I remember one day I did not feel, I've just got to testify and tell on myself. We, you know, me and Deidre are perfect as a couple. But this one day we failed. And I remember she she knows how to push my buttons. You know what I mean? And she knows she can get away with it. Like there's nothing I'm going to do anyway. I can, I can mouth all I want to, but that's going to be the end of it. So she was provoking and provoking. She knew how to get to me. Now, this was years ago. I'm sanctified now. So I'm just telling all, okay, I put it under the blood. 
She got me so mad, I don't even remember what I punched, but I punched something. The desk. I punched the desk, and I bloodied up my hand right before church. Right before I had to leave for church and go be a worship leader. Praise the name of the Lord. And I had blood all over my hand. And, you know, and the blood on my hand was just the evidence of the nonsense going on in my mind. You know? And the sighting. I may have hit two things, apparently. It's the old me. No, you don't forget it. And when patience has her completed work in you, you are perfect and not needed. Praise the name of the Lord. And so I remember getting to church. And, and listen, she had it easy because she just said, I'm not going to church. I'm just not going. I'm like, you got a responsibility. I'm not going. So I'm like, see, this is me. I'm, I'm Mr. Responsible. I'm going to go with my bloody knuckles and my nonsense going on in my mind. I still went. I had a job to do. And I remember that day thinking, there is no way that God can use me because I have, I'm just an idiot. You know, and I, I couldn't get my hand to stop bleeding. You know, it was, I don't, it was crazy. And so I'm in the basement of the church and I'm running my hand underwater trying to clean it up and tape it up where it's not so noticeable. And, you know, and I get a Band-Aid on it and it still bleeds, the Band-Aid. I get up there, and I got a, you know, I'm front and center. I've got my guitar on, and I'm playing guitar. And I don't know how many people noticed my hands and bleeding and everything. But I remember just all of a sudden I realized how weak I was and how on my best day I was still just really weak. And all of a sudden I begin to break before the Lord in my praise and my worship as I'm trying to lead other people. God began to break me. And all of a sudden in my weakness, the Holy Spirit began to flow in the service. And there on that day, you know, my wife was still home stewing. I got home. I still had to deal with and contend with things. But God, but God moved so mightily in that service and touched so many people, not because of me and certainly not because of my poor attitude, certainly not because of my lashing out, but because in my lashing out, I realized that even on my best day, I don't have it together. And I was weak enough at that point that he was able to do something strong. That he was able to do something mighty. Now listen, don't manipulate pastor's words and go out and get in fights before you come to church. Okay? But what I'm telling you is, no matter what state you're in, no matter your ability, no matter what, no matter how beat down you feel like you are, no matter how tormented your mind is, you've got to get it in your mind that you're going to take your blessing and that you're going to take it not in your own strength, but you're just simply going to walk and trust that your, your weakness is going to allow his strength to be made perfect. Amen. Stand to your feet with me tonight. things that you can't seem to get right. God can use it for the glory. He said in his word, I'm working all things together for good to those who love me and are called according to my purposes. You need to, you need to come to church and you need to invest yourself into the church and you need to invest yourself into the ministry of the church and you need to invest yourself outside these four walls into the ministry of winning souls to the kingdom of God in your weakness. In your, in your inability, even though you know, even though you know you're not perfect, even though you don't have it all together, trusting God can make a mighty army out of you. And saying, God, you said in your word in Isaiah, the lame take the plunder. The lame take the treasure. Not the strong, not the mighty, not the kings, not the prince, not the nobles, but the lame. Because in, your, in my weakness, your strength is made perfect. Tonight, if you want to just recognize your weakness before God. Many of you under the sound of my voice, you've been waiting. You've been waiting to do something for God until some criteria 
has been met. Oh, I got to get this done. I've got to get my life right. I got to get a car. I've got to get a house. I've got to get a, a wife. I've got to. I've got to get you know my act together. I've got to. You know, I've got to do this. I've got to do that before I can be uh, effective in the kingdom of God. I've got to, you know, I've got to, I, I can't have any kind of bad attitude. I can, I can never, you know, my tongue can never slip or I can't be effective for God. God, I'm not condoning your tongue slipping. Listen, you know, if you've got a, if you got a mouth problem, then it's what goes in, you know, that comes out, you know, and, 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 and God is saying that if you'll change the garbage that's going in, the, the garbage that's coming out. But what I'm telling you is that you can be effective for God. You can be effective for God just as you are. And he has never to this day ever called the equipped. But he's always equipped the call. He will equip you. Sister Julie, as you've stepped out into this children's ministry, he's equipping you. He's going to give you everything that you need. As long as you're weak enough to say, God, do it in my weakness. Do it in my inability. Do it in my inability. Do it in my humility, God, because I know I'm nothing without you. If you're here tonight and you say, I've been waiting, Brother Paul. I'm not going to have you bow your heads and close your eyes. We're, we're a close enough family here. We don't need to do that. If you're here and you say, I've been, I, I feel God calling me, and I know I've got things that I need to do in the church, but I've been waiting to get a few things together. I've just been waiting till I felt like things were lined up. But tonight under the sound of my voice, you said, I'm not going to let my inability stop me anymore. I'm not going to let the, whether I can't walk right, I'm not going to let, whether I can't talk right or I don't look right, stop me. I'm not going to let my sickness in my body stop me anymore. I'm going to work. I'm going to go and I'm going to take it. I'm going to go take it. If that's you in this place tonight, I want you to gather around these altars with me. 